You're listening to a podcast from the Media Ministry of Faithway Baptist Church. This is Pastor Barney Schwenke. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. If you have any questions about our church or about Jesus Christ, we'd love to answer those. Please reach out to us. You can find our contact information on our website. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message. Have your Bibles this morning. If you could take them, please, and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 10 this morning is where we are at. And as I mentioned several weeks ago as we started this together... What we are looking at doing is going through the Gospel of Luke. Someone said, well, why aren't we going chapter by chapter, verse by verse? And the reason is, if you've been with us here at Faithway for the past uh, 12 years, 13 years since we started, we've actually gone through the book of Matthew together, and we've also gone through the book of Mark together. And so we've looked at a lot of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, but Luke is unique, and he mentions a lot of different things, different stories, different accounts of the life of Jesus Christ that are not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or John. And so what we'd like to do is go through and bring to your attention some stories, some accounts that we don't see in any of the other other Gospels. And today our text is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And if you have a Bible that has commentaries or maybe it breaks up the paragraphs, mine says here, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you probably have heard this story before of of this man that fell by the wayside and three people walked by and only one person helped him. And that's what we're going to look at here today. But before we get into the actual story of the Good Samaritan, in verses 25 through uh, 29, or verse number 30, um, there is kind of a background story to why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And if we don't understand that background, then we're not going to really truly understand why this parable, why this story was taught by Jesus Christ. Now remember, Luke was a doctor, and he was the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of Acts, and he also wrote this book that we are looking at here, the book of Luke, his namesake. And as he was writing this book, we believe Paul was in prison, and that gave uh, Luke plenty of time to interview eyewitnesses as well as read some original source material like the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark as well. By the time we get to Luke chapter number 10, the ministry of Jesus Christ has been going on now for a year plus. All right, So Jesus is well established in the minds of the Israeli um, zealots, in the minds of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders at that time. Jesus is, is, the, is there as a prominent figure. And there were a lot of folks that would follow Jesus from a distance. They were his groupies, if you want to call them that. They, they kind of wanted to see more about who Jesus was, but they kept their distance. They weren't committed to him yet, but they followed just because they wanted to observe the miracles. And then you have the inner 12, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples who would become, with the exception of Judas, would become the, the pillar and the foundation of the church. They would become the, the 12 apostles in the book of Acts. And so Jesus' ministry is well underway. And what we're going to see here today is something very interesting. The first time we're going to see a parable. Now, some of you who don't come from a church background, you say, what is a parable? Well, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I guess that's probably the most simplistic definition that I can give you. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So you could hear a teacher teach a parable and you may or may not understand why the parable was being taught. But there was a very specific reason why Jesus used that story at that given time. I want you to notice in verse number 25, the Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what I'd like you to see, first of all, is the ultimate question. And I say this is the ultimate question because this is the question that every single person has asked from time to time. How do I live forever? 
Now, maybe they're thinking from a spiritual perspective. Maybe they're considering the mortality of their own life and how short their life is, and they want to prolong that life, if not try to live as long as they can, you know, live forever. How do I drink from the fountain of youth, right? And that's what everybody wants. Well, the Bible tells us there in verse number 25 that a lawyer came up to Jesus and asked him some questions. Now, we have a lawyer in our church currently, he's retired, but over the course of the history of our church, we've had several lawyers who have been a part of our church family. And, you know, like any industry, like there's good pastors and there's bad pastors, right? There's good accountants and bad accountants. So you have good lawyers and bad lawyers. And so a lot of times lawyers get a bad connotation, but most of the time lawyers do an amazing job at what they do. But here's a lawyer. We think of a lawyer as someone that goes and stands before a judge. That's not the idea here in the, in the New Testament when the word lawyer was being used, especially in this context. This lawyer would have been a religious scholar. He would have been someone who was well-versed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He would have known the law of God inside and out and been able to recite it from cover to cover. This is who he was. And he was someone that obviously wanted to cause trouble for Jesus. Everybody, verse number 25, he says, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Everybody wants to live forever. And ultimately, eternal life has to do with life with God in heaven. Every single human being who's ever been conceived is an eternal being that will live somewhere forever. You have a soul that's going to spend eternity in one of two places. Either heaven with God or the lake of fire with Satan and his angels. The question is not whether or not your soul is going to live forever, but whether or not your soul is going to live forever with God. And Jesus, in verses 25 and following, is going to answer this challenge that the lawyer brings to him, and he's going to go back and he's going to answer this legal, this religious scholar from the book, or from the the works, the writings of Moses. And Jesus is going to tell this man what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. But I don't want you to get uh, into this mindset that you think that, well, there's something that I can do to, in, to inherit eternal life. Because even though Jesus is going to point out some things that he needs to do, remember, Jesus knows the heart of every one of us. And Jesus knew that deep down inside, this religious leader, even though on the surface he seemed like he was squeaky clean, there were some things in his life that he was not willing to put away. He wasn't willing to repent of. And Jesus pointed these things out in this man's life through the parable. In fact, there were two words there, eternal life. When you go through and you look up those words in the Bible, there are over 44 verses in the New Testament that contain these two words, eternal life. And very few of them have to do with the concept of inheriting, obtaining, or receiving eternal life. And so this rich young ruler asked the same question of Jesus, uh, sorry, not this, the, the lawyer rather asked this question of Jesus, and there was a rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 who asked a very similar question. In fact, I think we have the verse up there on the screen for you, Matthew 19. Someone else came to Christ earlier on in his life and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And in this context, Jesus took this rich young ruler through the Ten Commandments. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse number 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now remember I told you Jesus knows the heart of man. 
And Jesus looked into the heart of this rich young ruler and knew that he was covetous of his gold, that he was covetous of his bank accounts. That was one thing he was not willing to give up in order to follow God. And Jesus says, okay, you go sell everything that you have and follow me. And he was not willing to do that. He was not willing to repent of that covetous sin and follow Christ. And so Jesus is saying here in this text that you don't, it's not that you sell your property to inherit eternal life. Jesus is dealing with this particular lawyer's heart problem. And you see the lawyer here in our text in Luke chapter number 10 or in Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler, Jesus makes a connection between eternal life and what these people are clinging to. The Bible has a lot to say about how one goes to heaven. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have every, every, eternal life. John 6, 40. Jesus um, it was talking here and he said, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. The term everlasting life in both of those verses I just quoted for you are are the same Greek words as eternal life in our verse. Here's where I'm going at this morning. Over and over again in the Gospels, the single greatest component to receiving eternal life is not about what you do, but about what you believe. As Matthew said earlier in his video, it's, it's eternal life as a gift from God. It's not something you do by going to church or by performing a bunch of good deeds in your life. Romans 6.23, Paul put it this way. He says, the wages, the payment of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you don't, there, there is, Jesus is talking to this lawyer and he is telling them there's some things you need to do. But this man needs to repent of his lifestyle of sin, what's going on in his heart, before he needs to turn away from his sin, before he can receive this free gift of salvation. It's called repentance. Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse number 5, warns, he says this, But after the hardness and impertinence of your heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation to the righteous judgment of God. What will God do to someone that lives in sin? He will render or he will give to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. In other words, Paul is saying there are people that are continue to sin over and over again. And they are laying up the wrath of God against them because they think by doing good works they're going to be okay. Ladies and gentlemen, here's how this works. Eternal life is indeed a free gift of God. And it's made possible by Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay for our sins. And as we looked at, if you were with us here on Wednesday night, we receive this gift and we make it ours simply by faith, choosing to believe and to follow Jesus. Yet an element of this belief in Jesus involves repenting of our sin, turning from our sins. If your belief in Jesus is sincere... If you truly become a child of God, you will see what Jesus sees in your sin. That your sin is abhorrent to God. That God hates and detests the way that you are living. And you will need to stop. You will have a desire in your life not only not to do sin, but you will have a desire to do things for others and to live a life pleasing to God. Now that doesn't mean that you and I must be perfect to enter into heaven. Because, you know, my wife will tell you that I am not perfect, right? I am far from it. All of us have sinned on a regular basis and fall short of the glory of God. But what it does mean when you become a child of God 
that the direction of your life has now taken a change of course and that for the most part your life is it's characterized by turning away from your sin and turning towards God. All right, verse number 25, the lawyer comes and says, Jesus, I got a question for you. He tries to trip him up. Look at verse number 26. And he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? In other words, Jesus says, you know, what's your interpretation of the law? A wise counselor does this. A wise, you know, if you're sitting down and you're trying to help somebody through their problems and their difficulties, I've learned that it's sometimes better to help dialogue or get a dialogue going with the person and asking them questions to find out why they are struggling with their sin or what's going on in their home life or what's happening in their, search, their situation and circumstance that bring them to the place where they feel like they do. And Jesus, like a good counselor, says, how do you interpret the law? In verse number 27, he, the lawyer answering, said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, the lawyer, verse 27, responds, he answering said, and he responds by, in this verse, quoting two different portions of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all your strength. And Leviticus chapter 19, God says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus, in verse number 28, if you look at your text, he said unto him, lawyer, right? You've answered rightly. Do this and you shall live. Now, Jesus says, I like your answer. That's exactly it. You want to know how to have eternal life? You do what you just told me you did. And in another situation, Jesus would tell another lawyer in Matthew chapter number 22 that these two things are the greatest commandment. Love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, verse number 40. But we have the ultimate question. And then I want you to notice in verse number 29 and following that Jesus is going to give an unusual explanation. Look at verse number 29. But he, the lawyer willing to justify himself. In other words, to explain what he's doing, said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? The, the, the lawyer, when Jesus pointed out, do these things and you will live, he began to get convicted in his heart. The, the willing to justify himself means he was, he was trying to see how far he could go. It's like the Israelites, when they were in the, uh, in the wilderness, remember their 40 years they wandered around the Sinai Peninsula, and God miraculously provided for them by giving them manna every single morning. They would wake up and they would go outside of their house and there would be this stuff on the ground, and it was all over, and they would go and they would pick it up, and, and it was edible. It, it tasted like crackers and honey, which, and I, and I bet it would have been even better with coffee, right? So yeah, they went and picked up this manna and they ate it every day, and along with the manna, God said, okay, I got a couple of rules for you to follow. Two simple things. Number one, you pick it up every morning. And number two, you're not allowed to keep it overnight. And, and, and so simple rule, right? You're not allowed to take more than what you need in one day. But did the people of God obey this simple rule? No. Exodus chapter 16, verse number 20, look what happened. Notwithstanding the people, they, the people of Israel, hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until the morning and it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was wroth with them. In other words, you, you collect more than you need and your house is going to stink in the morning. Why did Israel do that? They were constantly pushing God's buttons when they were in the wilderness. It's like a kid that just knows where to go after his parents. Boom, boom. And they're just constantly pushing the line. Wherever you draw the line, parents, that's where the battle's going to be. You say, well, I, I, want, I don't want my kids to do this. Well, this is the boundary that I set. That's where the battle is going to be at. You can mark it down every single time. 
And some of us want to know, God, how far can I go? That's a question that I oftentimes will get as a pastor. How far can I go with this substance? How far can I go in this relationship? Where do I cross the line that it now becomes sin? What, what kind of movies are okay to watch? You know, Pastor, what kind of music can I listen to? What kind of video games should I play? And the answer is not how far can you get from God without crossing the line. The question should be how close can you get to God? Does that activity that you are participating in, does it help you grow in your relationship with the Lord or does it push you away from God? Does it build you up and does it build other people up or does it have the potential to destroy other people and to destroy relationships? And if you're playing with fire, my friends, can I just challenge you, run far from it. You don't need to be enticing, with the, be, be playing with the things of this world and getting as close to the line as possible. That's not for the child of God. Well, I want you to notice in verse number three, or 30, rather, Jesus is talking to this lawyer, and this lawyer wants to know how far he can go. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, took his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse number 30, he says, he went down, he went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I've got some video footage up here. I want to show this to you. This is Israel, um, the desert in the Judean wilderness. Notice where Jericho is and notice where Jerusalem is, okay? So they would have gone, started in Jerusalem and gone to Jericho, but this video is showing uh, a different place, a different direction. But this is the Jericho Road. This is the, the city of Jericho, and this would have been the ancient Jericho Road that they would have navigated through. And you can see that it's a lot of hills, it's very rocky, a lot of caves would be in the, in the Jericho Road. By the way, Jesus and his family would have traveled the Jericho Road many, many times in his life because you, he would have come down from Nazareth and they would have been about a day and a half, to maybe two days journey to Naz, from Nazareth to Jericho. They would have camped there overnight and then they would have prepared for the long, treacherous journey on the Jericho Road all the way back up to Jerusalem. So Jesus was very familiar with this. And you can see over there in the corner, um, there's that, that really narrow path cut out right along the mountainside. That's what it would have been like back in the time of the Lord Jesus. Jericho is down in the Jordan Valley. It's about 850 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is about 2,000 feet above sea level. And as I mentioned, Jesus would have traveled this route many, many times. And this road was a very good place for thieves to hide. All right, so the people around Jesus, this lawyer is getting an answer from him. And when he says that this man went from Jerusalem to Jericho, instantly he's thinking this really steep Jericho road. And look at verse 31. What does it say? And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. It just so happens, and by chance, right? Just coincidentally, a priest was on that same road. Now, all the priests knew the best ways to please God. And the priest, when he saw this man who was stripped of his clothing and left dead or dying on the side of the road, probably thought to himself, well, I can't touch him because if I touch him and help him, I'm going to become ceremonially unclean and I won't be able to serve God without going through the whole purification process. And that's such a headache. I don't want to do it. For whatever reason, the Bible doesn't tell us what was going on in his mind. But he, he passed by. Look at verse number 32. And likewise, a Levite, this would have been someone serving in the temple, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now, the Levites were the religious people too, right there. The priests and the Levites, they were the helpers serving the priests in the temple. And verse 32 says that 
he passed by on the other side. You say, well, could something like that happen today? Absolutely. You ever seen, I'm sure you have, the cell phone of the footage of a major crime taking place? What do people do nowadays? If they see somebody getting mugged or if they see something happening, that instead of going to rescue that person and, and helping out in the situation, you'll have 15 people pull out their cell phones and videotape it and everyone's watching, you know, that, that's what they do. Rather than going to rescue them, they stand back and they say, I don't want to get dirty, but I'll make sure I got video footage of it. I'm doing my good deed for the day, right? That's the concept here. And the same thing can happen today. No one steps up to help. Look at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. A certain Samaritan. People from all around the world live here. But please understand, when you are in a Jewish culture and you have people around you from your Jewish background, anybody from the outside was a stranger. And the Jewish people did not tolerate people from the outside very well. And the Samaritan people were, uh, the Samaritans originated when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom in 722 BC. And when the Assyrians came in to, to wipe out the Jewish people, they didn't take everybody, they left some people behind, and they brought in foreigners to the northern kingdom, and they intermarried with a few remaining Jews, and this is how the Samaritans came to be. So the Samaritans had a develop, they developed a twisted form of Judaism that perverted parts of the scripture. And so you have people who are half Jew, half Gentile, the Samaritans, and they have a perverted form of Judaism. And so you can understand why the Jewish people detested the Samaritans. In fact, if Jesus was sitting there with these people, you could almost imagine that there was this audible just, oh, why would Jesus mention the Samaritans? I mean, the racism and hatred for these people. By the way, Jesus, what he is teaching here, flies in the face of anyone who says, I'm a Christian, but I hate a certain people of a skin color or ethnicity. Jesus was not a racist, and Jesus here very clearly says that the Samaritan was one that was willing to help a fellow, a fellow Jew, right? We're, we're related. They're way back in the day, even though it's been a long time, we are related, and it doesn't matter our skin color. I'm willing to help someone from a different background. And so, verse Verse 34, the Bible says that this Samaritan went up to him, he bound up his wounds, interesting, he poured oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Wounds, right? He bound up his wounds with oil and wine. Um, back in Jesus' day, that's just simple first aid. The oil would be the, the, the thing that soothes the wound while the wine would act as an antiseptic. Verse 35, and on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, gave them to the innkeeper, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, and when I come again, I will repay you. Uh, two pence would have been basically the equivalent of two days' worth of labor. And so he says this very interesting at the very end. He says, When I come again, I will repay thee. I wondered why did he say that? Well, if you racked up debt um, in an inn back in Jesus' day, it was very possible that you could be sold as a slave to pay for your debt. And so the Samaritan doesn't want this man to become a slave. And so he is willing to cover the entire debt of this stranger, of this hated Jew that he's never seen before. And then Jesus says to this lawyer, this learned man of, the, of biblical law, he says in verse 36, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell amongst the thieves? And he said in verse number 37, He that showeth mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. The Greek literally there is, he did mercy. Mercy. 
is like love. Love isn't something you feel. I know some of you say, well, I'm in love. No, love is not something you feel. It's not an emotion. Love is something that you do. Mercy is something that you do. And Jesus says, who is thy neighbor? And today, we ought to be saying the same thing, Faithway family. Who is my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Well, the word neighbor there is translated in the Greek. It means someone that is near, someone that is near to you. And Jesus would add that it's a person who's also in need, even if you're not aware of it. In, in this story, the neighbor wasn't who you thought it would be. It was a Samaritan. And I think one of the things that I'm guilty of, and if we're honest this morning, probably all of us are, is we get into a rut of thinking we know who our neighbor is. You know, one of the highlights of my Little League career, and there weren't many highlights, I'll tell you that much, but one of my highlights of my Little League career was when I was in fourth grade, striking out a sixth grader by the name of Brian McCobb. Now, I've got to tell you the story here, a little bit of background, okay? Brian and I are friends today, even still in spite of this. But when, we were, when I was in fourth grade, my parents put us in a little Christian school, and we would travel every single day in a minivan carpool, and Brian and his brother, he was in sixth grade, and I was in fourth grade, they were in the same carpool. Well, it just happened to be that we lived in the same neighborhood roughly within a mile or so of each other. And so we played on the same little, in the same little league, different teams, different teams, but we we're in the same league. And so you can imagine as we are in the spring season and getting ready to graduate, he's this big, thick sixth grader and I'm this skinny little fourth grader, right? And so the trash talking that was going on in the mornings in the minivan, oh, we're going to beat you guys tonight. No, we're going to beat you guys, right? And so on the way to school in the morning, we're just constantly egging each other on. And the thing that was really rough was Brian's team was way better than our team. Okay, And so we were constantly going back and forth, but Brian, Brian was famous throughout the entire league because not only was he bigger than every other person in the league, but he had this big, thick, wooden Louisville Slugger baseball bat. Everybody else had these dinky little aluminum things, but Brian had, you know, the Babe Ruth special. And he would stand up to the plate, and there was not a single pitcher in the Little League who could get Brian out. And of course, that morning, we knew we were going to be facing Brian that evening, and I also knew that I was going to be pitching because a last practice coach had said Barney you're pitching next game get ready for it so all right I'm ready for this but I knew I was going to be facing Brian so Brian was talking trash and he was saying look I'm going to hit a home run off you tonight and all of these things and when game time came you know the story I struck out Brian I was so elated and so excited to get into that carpool the next day and talk to Brian about how I struck him out and, you know, it was, he didn't have a whole lot to say. It was kind of quiet on the way to school. But, you know, I, I look at that, and I was so excited to be able to strike that guy out. I, I didn't know what happened to Brian after, after that year. He went into high school. His brother started to drive, so he wasn't in the carpool any longer. And we kind of just didn't touch base. My parents moved, and we, they pulled us out of that Christian school because we're an hour and a half away from it now. And, and so we kind of lo lost touch. We didn't talk for a long, long time. Well, when we started our church, uh, we started and we needed some help getting a 501c3. And I was talking to my pastor back home in New Hampshire where I'm from, and he said, well, you need to give Scott McCobb a call. He's an accountant, a CPA, and he can help you with your, uh, with your 501c3 process, walk you through it. And uh, so I said, sure, that's great. I know of him. I remember when I was in elementary school, I played baseball against his son, and we rode together. So I called up Scott. We talked, had a great conversation. And I said, so how's Brian doing now? I haven't talked to him in a long time, and where's he at nowadays? He's like, oh, he and his wife are missionaries in Paraguay. 
And I said, wow, that's really cool. I never would have thought that Brian would have become a missionary. And he's like, well, honestly, we never would have thought you would become a pastor. So it kind of goes both <laughs> ways. Uh, and so we're going back and forth and talking for a little while. And I connected with Brian on Facebook. And it turns out that he and his wife were church planning missionaries in Paraguay for a long time. I share this story with you because after about 10 years there in Paraguay, their hearts became burdened for the orphans uh, that were in the city that they were in. And there were just so many children wandering around the streets. And there was, in, in America, we don't have orphanages because we have foster care. We have a lot of different opportunities for children that don't have parents or in bad situations to be put in homes all around our country. It's a great system that we have. I know it has its faults and flaws, but it is a decent system compared to the rest of the world. And so they became burdened for that. And so Brian was able to hand off the church to a national. And they asked this question, who is your neighbor? And they started a, a program down there in Paraguay called Little Neighbors, where he goes now to a lot of different churches throughout the country of Paraguay, and he talks about foster care. And they started this foster care program in Paraguay, where hundreds of children now have gone through this system, and they've been adopted, and they've been placed into different families and homes. And I'm thankful, even though Brian and I have a rivalry from a long time ago, what he's doing for the Lord is amazing today. And why? Because he looked out and saw a need and said, who is my neighbor? And ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to go to Uganda, you don't have to go to Paraguay to ask that question, who is my neighbor? We can look around and we can see people all around us that are struggling. And I mentioned earlier today that we have an opportunity to serve the Leesburg community and provide meals. Once a month, our church is going to provide a meal. That's not too hard to do. Look, we can give, we can serve, we can prepare, we can help. I know we can do it if we're willing to ask the question, who is my neighbor? Could it be the people that live next door to you? Yeah, it could be. Could it be the people that we serve at that food event next month? Yes, it could be. Could it be someone at work? Could it be someone in your family? Could it be your kids? Could it be your spouse? The answer to all the above is yes. And so I want you to notice what Jesus says there in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 37. He says, it is someone, notice what he says. Jesus says that it is the person that does he that showed mercy. Faithway family, can I challenge you with this thought this morning? Let's leave from this place and let's do mercy. Let's show mercy. Mercy isn't something that you feel towards someone. Mercy is something that you do. It's something that you practice. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus was merciful to you? It's not that Jesus had a warm, fuzzy feeling towards you. What did he do? He showed you mercy. How did he show you mercy? He died on an old rugged cross. That way you can spend eternity with him in heaven. Doing mercy starts by having compassion on others. It's showing kindness to people even when they don't deserve it. Are you willing to do that today? If it, goes, it makes you come out of your comfort zone, if it costs you money, if it costs you time, are you willing to show mercy? Why should I show mercy? Because God showed you mercy. And if you've been saved, you have so much to be thankful for today. Why don't you take some time and show the love of Jesus Christ to others around you? It may be through your love and your act of compassion and mercy on them that they may come to know Jesus as their Savior. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this example of how we can be right with you. And Lord, there are a lot of people here today who we get so caught up in what is going on around us and taking care of our needs and our activities and our fun things that we just don't see the needs of people all around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find practical ways as a church, as a family, as individuals 
to this week show mercy to those that need it. You tell us in your word, Lord, that if we lack wisdom, let them ask of you. And so, Lord, today, I specifically ask you that you would show us this week people to whom we can show mercy. And I ask you to do that, Lord, so we as a church family can grow closer to you and we can see people in this community come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because, Lord, we believe that one day you're going to return. And when that one day happens, we're no longer going to have an opportunity to show mercy to people around us. Our time will be over. And so, Lord, I pray that we redeem the time that we have here on this earth. And, Lord, may we do it for your glory. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, can I ask you a question? Are you showing mercy to people around you who have needs? You say, well, I don't know who has needs. Then maybe your prayer this morning should be, Lord, who is my neighbor? And ask the Lord to show you who your neighbor is. And then give, ask the Lord to give you opportunities this week to show mercy to someone. Would you be willing to ask God that this morning? I know that's a big ask. But would you be willing to ask God to show you someone this week that you can be merciful to. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. If God can be merciful to me, then I can be merciful to other people. As the piano begins to play this morning, would you be willing to pray that prayer to God? Lord, who's my neighbor? And would you please give me an opportunity this week to be merciful to that neighbor? If you ask God, He's going to show you someone this week that you can have mercy and compassion on. I guarantee it. Would you be willing to ask the Lord this morning that? Lord, may we this week not be like the Levite or the priest that walk by others in need. Lord, would you lay some soul upon our heart this week that we can be compassionate towards, that we can show mercy towards. Thank you, Lord, for the infinite grace that you gave us, that mercy that was free, so rich, so free. And I pray this week that we live out what you've done in our hearts and the lives of other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast from Faithway Baptist Church today. Our prayer is as God's word goes forth, it will speak to your heart and to the lives of people all around the world. If God has used this message in your life today, please feel free to reach out to us and we'd love to hear from you. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with God, please let us know.